six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown. Well, I don't want to pick Jackson. I'm talking about Matt Burn on the board. <laughs> S&P futures down a whole 65. Nasdaq was down 169. Dow futures down 600. That is not so good. As we've got uh, Goldman Sachs before the opening down 10 bucks. We've got uh, J.P. Morgan down 322. That's almost 3%. Well, there isn't a there isn't a hint of green in the Dow pre-market. Everything's down mm. on, basically on its ass. Uh, do we have Mr. Murphy? We do indeed. Mr. Mr. Mike Murphy, you're supposed to be on this morning talking about basketball. And look at what. That's why it's, it's hard for me to even send out stuff because look what happened overnight, bud. What's that, Tom? Well, let's see. All the banks in Europe are stopped trading. <laughs> That'll work. Credit Suisse shares slide 24%. Trading halted after Saudi backer rules out further assistance. That's not good. Well, yeah, I mean, if the government hadn't bailed out SVB, where would we be? Well, uh, yeah. So get a load of this. The second headline, Credit Suisse chairman, Silicon Valley Bank, Valley Bank crisis looks local and contained. So today today he stopped trading. <laughs> there, there is a quote. <laughs> Mike, if you wrote a book like this and called it fiction, would you sell anything? I think you might, Tom. I would. Uh, I would agree with that. I, uh, what, um, this is, uh, I don't know if it's the, if it's the, the world where everybody gets their tweets or what they do, uh, but, uh, by the way, I might as well give it early here because it's, what's going on in Europe is, uh, is interesting. We've got, the DAX is down 465, that's over 3%, FTSE down 193, 2.5, Kakaron down 258, that's 3.5%, so those are big, big losses over in Europe. As these banks have stopped trading, remember when the stock's down twenty percent, usually will stop trading. Uh, um, it's a in, in this, this world world of tweets and, and, and instant messages, I guess, Mike. It's it's pretty much amazing that every everybody is all involved now in this SVB, and everybody. Matter of fact, I went to the dentist yesterday, and the lady in there was terrific. By the way, she says, "Time should I take all my money out of the bank?" And I'm like, "No." I'm like, I don't. Do you, do you think, Mike, do you think somebody should know a little bit about banking before they opine on TV what people should do? I mean, is there... What? I think uh, they probably should, Tom. But, you know, the world is on the... Well, this might be more than a slight exaggeration, but the world is on the verge of war. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ukraine, and that could be one of the reasons why the Europeans are panicking a little because of what happened with the uh, American drone over the Black Sea. You know, the Russians are asserting their authority or their sovereignty over what they consider their pool there, their little lake, the Black Sea. So 
you know, and and what does the Biden administration do? Oh, it's an unprofessional act. So, I mean, but what are you supposed to do? Well, they could. Uh, to me, that's an act of war, and you could react to it like an act of war. But then that sparks a bigger conflict, and I don't know whether we're ready to do that yet. I don't know that anybody's ready to do that. But I mean, it's, it's this is tricky stuff. I mean, you know better than me because you're you're. You know, you're close. I mean, you probably know of incidents that nobody knows about that I'm not going to ask you about. But I mean, I don't. What? Uh, I, I somehow I, this geography stuff. Of all, I mean, if if people were flying drones around the Gulf of Mexico, I think people would be pissed off. I mean, I, I don't know. This is this. It seems like the rules of engagement are how big you are. Well, that's true. And, but you know, we say we were flying in international airspace. The Russians say that. Uh, we were about ready to impede their airspace. So, I mean, who knows who's telling the truth? Yeah, I don't know if we believe... If we could believe our own people, it'd be easier, wouldn't it? Yes, that's very true. And, you know, and I have a tendency to believe our own people. I don't see where we're straying. You know, Russia says that they own the airspace over... They may not say that they own the airspace over the entire Black Sea, but they're certainly exercising their authority because they're worried about what the Ukrainians will do over the Ukraine, or not over the Ukraine, over Crimea, and uh, and we're trying to help the Ukrainians with providing them intelligence about Crimea. What uh, if, for instance... Our drone was was clearly in international airspace. What exactly do you learn out in the middle of the Black Sea if you if you if you actually are not trying to get as close as you can to the spot you're not supposed to be in? I mean, I'm sure the Russians wouldn't care if we flew the thing over the middle of it. But what are we going to learn there? Well, it, the, most drones have what they I forget what it's called, but I think it's like an offset, so it can. Uh, look to the left and right uh, over the targeted area and that's probably what they were worried about plus the transponder wasn't on and uh, so I mean we're just looking for what the Russians are going to do and the Russians don't want us to do that so that's why the um, the drone comes down and another thing is the drone was not armed so, you know, there's all kinds of, but the, I mean, I don't think the Russians would know that, so. You know, when we're talking about a drone, we're not talking about the little one that looks like a little helicopter flying on your lawn. We're talking about something really, basically, it's a plane without a pilot, right? That's correct. This was a big thing, and I've seen estimates between 32 and $56 million. So, even on the low side, $32 is a considerable <coughs> amount of money. Well, somebody's happy they got to build a new one, right? That's very true. The Air Force isn't happy about it, though. No, no. I, uh, I just I mean, I, you know, obviously Lou uh, used to do the. Uh, uh, I mean, you've been listening long enough to know that Lou used to be in the electronic flights, and you know, and they would go over, and, and he would never admit to being over to Russian airspace, but he certainly would admit to being as close as they could possibly get. Right. I mean, it is, it is somewhat of a game in that regard, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, look at what happened to Francis Gary Powers. I mean, he yeah. was... Well, he was right over the middle down. of the country, wasn't he? 
Yes, he. But he was way up in space. I mean, not way up in space, but he was probably sixty, seventy thousand uh, feet above the above the continent. So, I mean, it's not exactly as he was over, you know, directly over Russia, and and that was an SR seventy one. So, I mean, that that was another fancy spy plane, but that was legit. actually. I think he was a, he was he was the one before that. He was a U two, wasn't he? Oh yes, you're right. He was the U two. Did, uh, did they shoot him down, or he come down on his own? I mean, I think. No, I I think they brought him down somehow. Yeah, that was a big big. That was during the Eisenhower administration, wasn't it? No, it's Kennedy. It's sixty one. Well, maybe it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was nineteen sixty one, but I might be wrong about that. I I thought it was Eisenhower because the first thing that happened to Kennedy was a Bay of Pigs. I yeah. I, I could be wrong on that. Man, why don't you look that up? Uh, mm-hmm. You two incident will come right up, Gary Powers. Um, right. But, but uh, Mike, 19, uh, May 1st, 1960. 1960. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I sit corrected. Yeah. The uh, So, Mike, when things, I mean, you, uh, this is for, for those that don't know, a lot of the economics classes I took at Notre Dame, Mike was signed up for as well. Once in a while I even <laughs> saw, once, once in a while I, I even saw him there. Uh, we'd even like go together. I'd say, hey, you going today? And I'd get a yes. And I'd go, well, what's, what's today? It must be a good day. Uh, anyway, but Mike, uh, a lot of the stuff that I talk about, Mike also knows. You know, he doesn't, but when he, his army career, he probably stopped reading it as much as I've kept reading it. But still, the uh, this whole banking thing, Mike, are, are we... Are we just letting loose with the fact that most everybody in this country has no idea how the system works or supposed to work? I mean, some of the stuff people are saying, even on TV, is is amazingly ignorant to me. I don't. I mean, they talk about this insurance, and if this insurance isn't there, and the FDIC, Mike, you and I know that that that's been opiate for the opiate for the people forever. The idea that there's a number there where you're the whole idea is that the the Federal Reserve and the government is supposed to make the system sound. And have been and have for decades. The right. the, the idea right. that you that you uh, would put you know half a million dollars in for a payroll on a Friday and worry about the part over two fifty, like you know the system doesn't work like that. You, nobody can, you're not supposed to worry about that, are you? It's not just because no, of, you shouldn't have to worry about that. And you know people that you know in the FDIC is only supposed to guarantee two hundred fifty k. So, you know, making well all those investors, all those venture capitalists, well, that's what risk is all about. So to me, there seems to be a a problem with, you know, uh, uh, the U.S. rescuing that particular bank. You know, who was invested in that that uh, had to be made well? Well, the investor, that's that's part of the problem I'm having with uh, the world I talk to. Is is clearly people, I and mean, maybe you didn't go through this as well. I mean, I don't know why you would have. The, the The question of whether a bank is solvent and whether the depositors are whole are totally different questions. They're not the same thing, right? Right. I mean, the the idea of a of a bank being whole. I mean, the perfect example is your Japanese banks owned. Uh, this is not what happens here. Thank God. But I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in, in European banks, or I've never been in a Japanese bank, but I've been in European banks. They are they are serious owners of stock and companies, and it's considered good capital. Now that there's never been good capital here. I mean, to, with a few exceptions, I think 
Fanny uh, and Freddie preferred was considered good capital. Look how that worked out. Uh, that didn't work out so hot. But basically, the Japanese banks, the big ones, from, God, Mike, when, when was the Japanese market 35000 It was in the 80s when they were buying uh, uh, Pebble Beach and all this stuff. It was a long, I mean, I, I know, it was probably maybe the early 90s. I, don't, I was trading a long time ago. Uh, the, all of a sudden, the market crashed. These banks were all, if you marked all of them to market, okay, you know, they, they bought this stock at X, and now it's way less than X. Okay, but the people coming and going in the front, the fact that you could still get an auto loan, you could still write a check, none of that changed. The, the bank was, that's why they used to call them zombie banks, right? They, they, the, the capital was underwater, but they just continued to operate and make a little money and, and essentially keep writing down the stuff as best they could. <laughs> After like 20 years, I guess, I guess they were whole, or I don't know. I mean, some, but I mean, there's no, the difference between, um, I mean, the, the, but the idea that the deposit or somehow that you, if you put your money in, in a, you know, O'Neill Bank and Trust, and, 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 and Kevin had given a huge loan to Tim, and Tim reneged on the loan, you're, how are you supposed to know? I mean, the idea, the system is supposed to be sacred for you. I mean, the FDIC has $100 billion. That's, that's a pimple on the ass of an elephant in terms of if, if everybody had to get paid off, right? There's, there's, there's right. no, there's no yeah. connection between... And I, I wish regular citizens would know this. There is no connection between this two hundred and fifty grand and whether you like the depositors at a certain bank or don't, and whether they should be made whole. In effect, and the fact is, the system is supposed to be the, the bigger banks, where people are, are happy putting four or five, six million dollars for payroll. They're supposed to be under scrutiny. The whole system is supposed to be balanced. And if somebody has a capital problem, you shift ownership of the bank. Somebody deals with the capital issue with the depositors never get hit, whether you're insured or not. The idea that the FDIC is only going to cover the other people and everybody else is crap out of luck. I mean, Mike, that's what I'm hearing all over the place, and I don't, I don't know where those people get that idea. That's not how a system works. Right, and, and uh, you know, what are we... Uh, well, you know, it, it, what is lacking to me in this respect is the regulation you know who was uh, you know and I keep hearing this term uh, the moral hazard you know so so these bank people uh, well number one they they weren't real careful and whoever was managing their risk did not do a good job and so is the government responsible to then save that bank even though the board well i mean three members i guess of the uh fed were members of the board of that bank so you know i'm not sure how much regulation was done and now elizabeth warren wants to essentially nationalize banks so well she's she's has no idea what she's talking about i mean she's dangerous absolutely dangerous she is dangerous that's correct The, the the she she sees a problem you know what, Mike? She has a, a real. I mean, if, boy, I wish her buddy Doctor Blade could psychoanalyze her. She does nothing but rag on regulation. Yet her solution is always more regulation. Right. Yeah. It's like, what, what are we doing? I mean, I mean, why? Why don't? Why don't people? You know, just in general, get the idea that when you sell uh, federal, you know, federal bonds, state bonds, mortgage certificates. You run your interest rates down to zero, and yet people are still forced to buy this stuff or do buy it. 
either by insurance covenant, banks covenant. I mean, what what is supposed to be the best capital around are supposed to be U.S. bonds, right? Well, right, guess what? Government-backed securities. Uh, guess right. what? These guys had U.S. bonds, and I, and I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not certainly not. I mean, I, I don't know what's on the balance sheet of the place, uh, except what I've read. But everybody else seems to know. Everybody else seems to be an expert on it. From what I, yeah. underst- from what I understand, they lost two and a half billion dollars and. U.S. Treasuries when they when they had to sell them because they bought them probably two years ago and there's been a a thirty percent probably hit in those things because of the interest rates. Okay, just because the U.S. Treasury is going to pay doesn't mean it's it's not a non risk a- asset if it's longer denominated and you mark the market right. So they sell it and they went out to try and get some capital and couldn't raise it. Now, I I get the idea that uh, and and they also have a boatload of mortgages, I think in that area and the real estate prices are coming down. So they got right. two, they got two arrows flying at them, really not of their making. All right. Now the question is, what do you do with it? How do you shore it up? But and the minute they tried to shore it up is when they had to prop because all of a sudden they couldn't raise the two and a half billion. Now, I'm not making excuses for them. Okay, I'm just saying it appears to me. And then all of a sudden everybody hits the klaxon alarm like man overboard, and everybody pulls their money out. Well, you know, I mean, and and somehow the 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 Fed allows them to do that. Or to the state charter or whatever, instead of shutting the thing down early and over the weekend saying we got a new buyer and, and, and they're injecting some money, you know, by, because the place is certainly worth something. They got all these deposits, they got all these locations. I mean, what happens normally, you know how this works. If a bank starts to go on, if, if they say they have a bad loan, nobody even knows about it, you know, the depositors. The bank, the, the Fed comes in and says, okay, I'll, your capital is supposed to be 100 million with this bad loan, it's 80. Okay, we're going we're gonna to sell the other stuff for. For eighty or ninety, or by the way, the buildings and stuff are worth more than your capital. So somebody buys the place, and maybe maybe the government eats piece of that one loan, which is you know what what they do uh, sometimes. Now whether you can say there's a moral hazard to that, how come a moral hazard is always somebody else getting help but not you? Right. If you yeah, that's if, true. If you get help, it's never a moral hazard, right? Somebody. Well, and supposedly they had a buyer over the weekend, and the FDIC didn't let it occur. So you know, I don't know. There's way too many rumors going around yeah. about this. Well, I mean, the buyer with the forty billion dollars out the door is—it's nowhere near as worth as much as it was Wednesday morning if they had closed it, right? Right. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, this usually. All of a sudden, you walk up to Kevin O'Neill's bank, and it's Tim O'Neill's bank. <laughs> but, but but you don't care. The, the, the checks are good, right? Everything's fine. Yes. And everything everything yeah. works. This happens all the time. But now, now this morning, I'm reading articles. You should get your money out of this. all these kinds of banks, these kinds of banks. Who are these idiots telling people to do a run on a bank, Mike? I mean, really. They, don't, they obviously don't understand the system because a run on one bank is like a run on every bank, isn't it? Right. Well, and as you're saying, you know, it's too much. There's way too much instant information that's not accurate. So, and now we're going to have people causing a run on a bank, or well, probably on regional banks in general. Right. And how? And how do people? Is this? Is Jamie Dimon behind all this? <laughs> there's only going to be six banks left, or, oh, an, or well, a national? That could be true. I mean, who knows? Or, or there's going to be five banks that are considered national banks. Why would you? Re- Try, try and get a, a loan for your plumbing company out of Citigroup. Right, you know, or good. even, well, I don't know how Wells Fargo is these days, but uh, well, they're, I they're, think they're, they're out of the mortgage market, so who knows. S&P futures down 63, NASDAQ futures down 169. It's an ugly morning here. Uh, it's because Credit Suisse has stopped trading after it's down 24%. Uh, Saudi, I didn't even know those guys had a Saudi backer. 
Uh, but evidently, Saudi backer says no more, no, no, no mass. So uh, that's not good. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. I'm Matt Byrne on the board. We have Mike Murphy with us. Our banking expert, Mr. Kevin O'Neill, is on a plane back from uh, Phoenix to, uh, I guess he got to come to Chicago. I don't think he can fly out of South Bend too far anywhere. But anyway, he, uh, he's coming back. He saw a couple of spring training games, I guess. His son lives out there. So we'll be happy to talk to Kevin on Friday. If there's any banks in the world left, are people going to talk him out? Uh, boy, 
listening to the to the drone of these people with go grab your money, do this and that. I, I can't think of anything worse that people can do, but that's, that would just be me. Uh, the news over in Europe is pretty awful. Credit Suisse, this is this is this is terrific. Two headlines. One, one right. Somebody must have done this just for a laugh. It's on CNBC's site. Credit Suisse shares slide 24% trading halt after Saudi backer rules out further assistance. The next line is Credit Suisse chairman Silicon Valley bank crisis looks local and contained. <laughs> you write fiction like that, Mr. Byrne? I, I, no, not I, me. How could those be the two? The, the two oh, whatever. Uh, the Dow <laughs> futures down 512. They were down over 600. Every stock in the Dow pre-market is down. The only thing I have up is our gold prices here. Uh, we've got just about everything everything off. We'll talk we'll go through that in less than a minute. Uh, DAX down 427, 2.8%. It's actually come back a little bit. FTSE down 183, 2.4. CAC around down 234, 3.3. So steep losses over in Europe. Asia, not so much. Uh, Nikkei up 7, so call that flood. These guys, I think, closed before all this stuff happened in Europe. Because last night, uh, actually, the market was pretty flat by you know, 11.30 or so last time I checked. Hang Seng up 291, 1.5%. Shanghai is up 18.5%. So this all happened before Asia, uh, or after Asia closed. Yesterday, Dow was up 336. S&B up 63. NASDAQ down 239. So we're doing the almost, actually, almost not the total. The, the S&P is almost a total U-turn. Uh, NASDAQ's not so much. NASDAQ's been pretty strong. Uh, bonds uh, down 12 basis points, 3.51, as they were 4% a week ago. So it was been a flight to quality on these bonds. Same, the same bonds that the bank lost money on and now is a flight to quality, so go figure on that. A bund down 22 basis points, 2.25. A Japanese 10-year up 6 basis points, 0.34. We've got oil uh, down a buck 18, $70.15, as people think this is going to even send us more into a recession. A Brent down a buck 22, 76.23. Natural gas down 5 cents, 2.51. Arbob down 3 cents, 2.51. Gold continuing its rally a little bit. 1915, it's a <coughs> 4.80. Silver down six cents, 21.98. Copper down nine cents, 3.90. We have Bitcoin down 209, but well over 24,000. 24.511. And last but not least, we have the U.S. dollar is actually pretty strong. The pound is down to 105. <coughs> the euro is down to 133. So that's almost one percent on the on the. Well, actually, it's a one and a half percent on the euro and 0.7 percent on the British pound. So kind of big moves. Matt, after all that, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? <laughs> yeah, good morning. It's currently 6.37 a.m. on March 15th, 2023. This morning in Chicago, clear skies. A bit of a frosty morning as well at 24 degrees, a high of 49 later on. Uh, tomorrow, rain to start in the evening and will go on into Friday morning. Right now in Phoenix, cloudy skies, 64 degrees currently, a high of 66 later on. Tomorrow, partly cloudy with a chance of rain overnight. Now for sports in the NHL, last night Blackhawks won against Bruins 6-3. Carolina Hurricanes beat Jets 5-3. In the NBA tonight, Bulls to play Kings in the United Center at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. In college basketball, last night in the Men's Basketball Championship, Texas A&M wins the South Region First Four and Pit Pittsburgh wins the Midwest. Tonight, Fairleigh Dickinson versus Texas Southern and Nevada versus Arizona State. So for now, Chief, back to you. Uh, Mike, I, I dozed off before the end of the pit game. I did watch the first game, the 16-game play-in. And you can tell why those guys are 16 playoffs play-ins, right? Yeah, well, but even so, they made the big dance. So yeah, we got to, got to play someplace, and uh, it's a let's let's uh, these problems are still going to be here when Russell comes on. So let's talk a little bit about some sports, um, and uh, just not because 
we're, we're that big of Notre Dame fans, but uh, what's happening to the Irish basketball team is really a, I think, somewhat Mike of a microcosm of, of the, the new the new reality. Um, are you and I gonna have to suit up next year or what? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. That's a good question, Tom. The, the Irish could be like uh, Digger Phelps's first year, you know, when we were there. Uh, so nothing, they could nothing, be extremely weak next year. No, nothing could be that bad. <laughs> did you? I forget who I went with. Did you? Did you come down with me to the game in uh, Bloomington? Uh, I don't think I you did. went to Macomb with you. We went to Western Illinois together. I don't think. If I went to Bloomington, I probably went with John Flynn and some of his buddies. Uh, I, was, I don't think I went to Bloomington with you. I forget who I went down there with, but I, I was there for the the first night their new new stadium, forty some years ago. Oh, Open. that new arena that they're well, in now. You know, it's I mean, not it's not new anymore, but it was new right. that night. That was in a game they lost ninety five to twenty seven. I was there. Well, that was you know George McGinnis, all those guys from Indianapolis that were so good. And they played pretty much the whole game. That's why Digger hated Bobby Knight. I mean, we had nobody. We had absolutely nobody. Right. Well, but, when Chris Stevens is a starter, you know, you know, you have problems. Well, so. just as for a, a quick, ridiculous review, uh, freshmen couldn't play. Okay, so uh, Brokaw and Clay were on the freshman team. Shoemate, which we just put in the uh, <clears throat> the Ring of Fame, whatever, whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah. he had, he had blood clot problems, so he didn't play. Yeah, I'm not sure that I agree with the shoemate going into the Ring of Fame either, but that's beside the point. Well, he was one of their, be- and he's been a, a serious ambassador since. Uh, you know, he was a good NBA player until the blood clots came back, and he was a good coach. And he's been, you know, I think he raised a lot of money for the Irish too. That probably pissed part of it, but he was a hell of a player. I mean, he beat Bill Walton. I mean, it wasn't like he was a schlump. But, right. But uh, yes. remember Sammy Puckett? Remember that name? No, I don't remember Sammy Puckett. Sammy Puckett was a recruit out of Hills Franciscan in Chicago. And he was, when he was a freshman on the freshman team, he was the only guy that gave Austin Carr trouble in practice. He was that good. Matter of fact, uh, one time I was watching an interview with Isaiah Thomas, who was also from Chicago, and he said, who's the basketball, best basketball player you ever played against? And he said, that's easy, Sammy Puckett in high school. He came to Notre Dame out of Hales, which is a Catholic school, good-looking kid, Always, always dressed well. I mean, in those days, they made, made those guys dress up. He, he, he got all Fs, and he, and he flunked out after one semester. So he was gone. Shoemate couldn't play. Those, those were our year. And then, uh, what's his name? Got in the motorcycle crash. He got his leg cut off, remember? Doug, was it Doug Gimmel? So he, didn't, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't play with no leg. So, so I mean, they, had, they had absolutely, absolutely nobody. Until, until uh, what's his name? Um, Parsegian. Let him lent Digger the Townsend kids, and let oh him, yeah uh, the, the Townsend foot. brothers right. But then they, then they at least were were somewhat they they belonged on a basketball floor. I mean they still didn't win, but but still they at least they had somebody. Other than then they I don't well know. And, and didn't he let uh, Willie Fry play too? Was uh, Willie Fry was that when we were a senior? Oh okay all right. But I mean they were but the, my, the long way of getting to the question, it seems like. You know, for years and years, these players once once the school got them, they were pretty much locked up, right? I mean, some schools. Uh, and this, I mean, I can't really overemphasize enough the difference between the schools that that played the game decently and the people the schools that played the game not so well. And when I say that, 
you had a certain number of people that you give scholarships to every year, then there was a certain amount of people you could retain on scholarships. Total, right, Mike? And the number, the number was never the first number times four. It was always some sort of a degrade. So even when we were there, I think you could bring in 30 players a year on football, but you could only have, what, 100 total? And now it's down to 85 or something? Right. They, they've, they, they, you know, they're limiting the number of scholarships. I don't know how that plays in basketball, though, because well, but I'm of saying the one and done now. Right, know, but, it, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, again, a long, long preamble to this. But, so, but the schools like Notre Dame and Michigan and Stanford and those kinds of places, even though technically it's a one-year commitment, right? I mean, you can basically fire the guy after one year and say, you don't have a scholarship. The, the, most schools do not do that. And, and actually, just about all schools don't do it in a certain way, but they, they try and drive the other people out of there. Okay, in other words, Bob Devaney was big at that. So was uh, Dow Royal, the guy from Texas. They, were, they, would, they would basically abuse people into leaving. So you always had your – because people don't grow, right? The kid who was you know, 6'1", 200 in high school is still 6'1", 200 four years later. He can't play. Uh, at least at that level. So now it's it's spun the other way, where kids can go after one year and all this kind of stuff. I wonder, Mike, if it's if it's spun too far. If all of a sudden you're going to see schools saying, "Okay, you don't like me after one year after I plan my program around you. Guess what? I don't like you after one year. You're out of here." I, I wonder if I mean this kid. My Notre Dame, from what I'm, where I'm getting to, is not only they've lost some recruits because the coach is leaving. The kid who's a freshman, who's the only bona fide star I think they have, he's leaving. So, I mean, the, the players can pack up and go. Yet the, the schools, like the Irish, like Northwestern, like Michigan, still are holding on to this four-year commitment thing. I think it's getting a little one-sided, Mike. I, it just, is it just me, or am I just getting grumpy? Well, I don't think the schools will, will honor uh, – the commitment, although, you know, Bray was very good about that. I mean, he kept those five or six guys, you know, even as grad students. So, I mean, he was obviously an honorable man, but, you know, the rest of them, who knows? You know, who knows what's going on with John Calipari and Kentucky and, and well, let's see what happens with Duke and, you know, there's a whole... But the the portal, you know, opens up a whole new business. You know, Starling, I did not, I anticipated him staying at Notre Dame for at least two years. Yeah. Now he's gone after one, and to add insult to injury, he goes to Syracuse. So now we're going to have to play against him. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I, that's, what I, that's what I'm getting to. You, you can't, if, if you're one of these people that recruits four people a year, religiously, or three or four, which is what the numbers would say, right, Mike? And I mean, yeah, if, but if you get the four, and two of them don't necessarily pan out as stars, say one one just doesn't grow, two become role players. Maybe one's good. Well, if, if the good guy leaves, you can't continue to waste the scholarship on the guy who doesn't pan out. The numbers they're going to have to change the numbers game somewhat. If the players can all leave, you got to be able to get more guys in the door. So the numbers have to change, I think. Right. Just... Well, they probably have. Uh, there's, it's and you know, Kevin might be the one to answer this. You know, they probably have a certain number of scholarships, and if you lose four or five guys, then you should be able to recruit four or five. Well, guys. I think you can. I think you can, but then you're left with all freshmen. 
Well, I mean, which is okay, I guess, in some regards. But I mean, Mike Bray but, bet on that class, uh, and they panned out okay. I wouldn't say they did real well, but they did okay. Well, the guy in Marquette is probably the biggest example this year of that working out. He had what do you have eight freshmen on the team last year when he came in? Well, and Shaka Smart is a pretty good coach too. And if people, if those, if those players uh, adapted. It sounds like they really adapted to his system well because he's made that system work at two or three schools now. Now Marquette is a success story too. Well, he's but so, it, but they're all they're all the same age. I'm gonna, I'm going to say they all. I won't say everybody gets along like you buy you know ch- eggs from chickens. It's supposedly all get along, right? But I'm going to turn everybody gets along. But it seems like they buy into his thing. He plays seven eight players. They all get a lot of minutes, and they all hustle and. Uh, and every game I watch them because I watch them a lot because my, my my buddy Bill Murphy's a huge fan. Uh, I uh, you know every every game I see them they're better. I mean they clobbered right. Notre Dame. I mean and, uh, well and that and that's the thing about Duke this year. They Shire had a rough start to the year, but now they're playing well together too. And I have them going all the way in the NCAA. I think they will. Uh, we'll see how it works out, but uh, you know. That's, a couple of these I teams, have, a couple of these teams got these. Kansas again. Yeah, I got, I got, uh, you know, some of those teams with the big, huge guys. Though, they're gonna be hard to deal with. So, well, that's the thing about Duke is they have two seven footers to handle Zach Eady, who is just the one seven footer, and Duke has better support players than Purdue has. So I see Duke beating Purdue. And then it, the Marquette and Duke game should be a very good game. What uh, who's got the is it Texas or Houston's got the big master center? It's really good. Or is it both of them? Somebody's got somebody down there that's awful good. Well, I watch so many games. Is, Houston has that Sasser guy, and I'm not sure how much he's going to play. He's been hurt, so I see them going pretty far. I don't see them beating Texas. So, what about Kansas? Bill Self is this his year? Well, Kansas, I think, will make it. I think the uh, the uh, Kansas will beat UCLA, and then I think Texas will beat Kansas again. Texas just showed that they can beat Kansas, so I think it'll. I think the final two will be Duke versus Texas. What uh, what's your what's your feel on um, these these conference tournaments? It seems like the teams that really. Uh, Really want to be, you know, need to need to move up. Are basically hustling their tail off. The teams that are already in, they just want they just want out because they don't want anybody hurt. I mean, it, it seems like it's a weird dynamic. I mean, Kansas didn't look to me like they they cared at all when they lost that game. I watched it. Well, and and that's why I, I don't think Kansas deserved a number one seed. So you know, it just that one kind of bothers me a little. And you know, Memphis, although that. The Sasser guy was hurt, so he didn't play, and they were trying to save him for the tournament. So Memphis decidedly beat Houston in their final. So now, but you know, you look at Duke, and you know they got they're hot at the right time. They're peaking. So we'll see what happens. And you know, and to Purdue's credit, they at least won the Big Ten tournament, and that's a pretty tough tournament. Well, I remember when. Uh, well, I don't remember that much about it, but when Bray first showed up. Uh, maybe not when he first showed up, but he had a remember he had Troy Murphy. He was a big star. That ended up right. having a twelve year NBA career. <clears throat> but he was a hell of a ball player. And they, they had just started those tournaments. Right. They really weren't I don't I don't know if they just started, but they were pretty new. 
And uh, the Irish had the, I think they had the, probably the best or second best team in the Big East. And we're going to get a, a real nice bid to the NCAA. And they lost like the second game. And, and Bray pretty much said, I'm glad this is over. Now we can get ready for next week. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing beating our head against the wall? Three more games this week when we get all next week. I mean, what, what good can come out of this, basically, is what he said. And he couldn't wait to lose. You know, so I mean, I, I obviously later on when they they weren't automatic bursts, they wanted to do well in the tournament so they could become a, a berth. But I, mean, I, I don't, I think those conference tournaments are kind of they can be wacky. I think, just saying. Well, I agree with you, but it, I mean, it's still it, it's a good prelim to the tournament. So, you know, I do like the fact that the conference tournaments still matter, and you know. Whoever wins a conference tournament gets an automatic berth. Well, but it, but it actually didn't matter to Kansas, is my point. No, right. You're right. And it didn't matter to Houston either. No. So. Where do you put, uh, somehow or another, in the last few weeks, I, I don't know, my, must have been the time change of my sleep schedule. My, I actually list, watched a couple of games from the Pac-10. And, of course, who do you end up listening to with Bill Walton? Who, <laughs> the dude is out there, wouldn't you say? Uh, but he, he is all over this. The Pac-10 is, you know, they're going to be huge in UCLA, but they got they got one pretty bad injury, don't they? I mean, where where do you where do they stand? Because they they were like nowhere, then everybody thought they were the best, and this guy got hurt. Where, where do you put them? I put UCLA ended up playing Kansas in the the you know in the final out west, but then I have Kansas beating them. But it's just like uh, I mean, I bet John Flynn every year on Gonzaga. I'm not doing it this year. And, you know, the teams from out west never do well at the end of the tournament. They always choke because they don't have tough enough games during the year. That's where the Big Ten and the ACC and the East, or the Big East, they all do better because those teams have played tougher games throughout the whole season. Well, I watched, uh, again, because mostly because of the influence of Mr. Murphy. Of course, I watched him because the Irish used to be in the Big East. And I'm kind of familiar with some of those teams. I mean, I don't know the names of them like you do, but the uh, I tell you what, <clears throat> did, they, did they even give the Big East official a whistle? <laughs> well, a Big Ten official too. I mean, the Big Ten's pretty rough. The, the, I mean, the Big the Big East. I mean, Bill Murphy will sit there and go, "There's a foul. There's a foul." He goes, "Is the guy ever?" But if you watch the, the teams from the Pac-10, the games aren't like that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not so sure which is better. But I mean, there's guys getting tackled in Big East. Don't we know it's okay as long as the guy comes up with two legs working. It's okay, right? But I mean, well, and maybe that affects the way they play in the tournament too. You know, different refs, different styles of play. I, I think it does. But uh, is that is that guy Timmy and Gonzaga? Is he older than us? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it seems like he's been there forever. It's like this kid at UVA, Kihei Clark. He's been there five years, played over 150 games, and he's, you know, he set the assist record at UVA, and, you know, he was on their championship team in either, I think it was either 2018 or 2019, and he's still playing. Well, was the uh, hockey last week, the Irish got booted out of the NCAA contention. They lost to Michigan State, and Kevin calls me, and he says, what's unique about this game? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, Two of the best goalies uh, in, in uh, college hockey are both on the ice, and they're both from Notre Dame. The one kid played four years from Notre Dame. Now he's playing another two years from Michigan State. Yeah, that's the portal. Yeah, but it, well, not to mention, you, know, we got, you got the COVID year, right? You right. Know, we got an extra year. and then. But this is the weird part. 
didn't Kevin say that the uh, if your if your team played, you get an extra year. If you if they didn't play, you don't. Yeah, I don't what, know. What was that all I don't about? pay that. I don't pay that much attention to hockey. So, well, the NCAA is going to be, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's going to be a big deal. They're talking about. Hey, I know what I wanted to hit you up with. Man, if, if you read the thing I I sent, uh, as you know, I'm mean, for whatever reason I, I zero toward the money. Uh, and like I say, Mike, Mike was an economics guy too in Notre Dame. So he, even though he he says he isn't, he sort of is. What do you make of, uh, you know, if, if there's a theme to the show, I'm sure you haven't figured it out yet, uh, it's that everything depends on everything else. That's why I'm talking about these banks. Don't people really know how the system operates? It has for 100 years. I mean, if you did, you wouldn't be calling individual runs on banks you didn't like. You know, I mean, it's not the way it's not supposed to work. But I'm, I'm watching, uh, I can't believe the amount of money these baseball players are getting. Although I do think that the uh, the, the people going to the stands this year is going to see a big comeback with this pitch clock. These games are way more entertaining, I think. Right. I, I, I think that'll be very interesting this year. But the, when you start starting talking, you know, 35 mil is now the, the number for a pitcher or a shortstop or something. And then today I see this Diamond Sports, largest owner of regional sports networks, is filing for bankruptcy because they can't make any dough. I you now if you're if you're the Cubs, and I, I have no idea, I don't think the marquee is, is part of this Diamond Sports, but Say your 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 team X, the, the Diamond Sports, is filing for bankruptcy, and you're going through them, and they're giving you all this money, and it looks like they're giving you more than they can that they can give you because they're going broke. I don't know if I if I ink a deal for a shortstop for thirty five mil for the next five years, not knowing where my revenue is coming from. I, mean, I, I right. think I think these guys are. They're in the front of their skis a little bit here, I, I, I think. But I'm, you know, what do you think? I mean, just by looking at the different stories. No, I agree with you. I, they're way ahead of their skis, and you know, how can, you know, an agency afford to pay thirty-five mil to these guys? That, that I don't understand that. So. Well, then you end up with a team where there's twenty-five people on a roster, and there's there's three guys making, two guys making thirty-five, two guys making twenty, and the rest of the guys are making a minimum. Which is well, I mean the the Nats, the the Washington Nationals are like that, and I don't even know if they have any. Well, no, they do have a couple of guys. They're still paying uh, Steven Strasburg a lot of money, and they're paying Patrick Corbin a lot of money, but everybody else is dirt cheap, and and the Nationals just aren't competitive, and they won't be competitive for about three or four more years at least. Like, what do you like to do from your your business days before you became? The the army dude. Uh, plus, I got, we got a couple. Well, we don't have much time, but um, wouldn't, wouldn't you wouldn't you like to uh, to figure out like when the Blackhawks just tank or the or the Cubs get rid of everybody and then they go like a year where they got like nobody? How much money they make in that year? I, I think it's got to be a fortune if people don't bail on their tickets because they don't. Well, you know, and and this is the ironic thing, Tom. Okay, the Nationals win the series. And then the next year, COVID hits, so they don't get any, they get very little out of it, and then they start the tanking process. And and now they're trying to sell a team, and they're not even competitive enough to sell the team. So, you know, the learners are losing a lot of money with the Nats, plus the TV rights in the Washington area are screwed up by the owner of the Baltimore Orioles because when he let the Nats back into D.C., he was supposed to get all the royalties. 
Well, now the Nats are fighting them for that. So Major League Baseball, at least in the Washington, Baltimore area, is all screwed up. I don't think they get anywhere near the local. Uh, I mean, everybody there, everybody there's worried about the government, not the baseball team. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's just no, a, the Nats get uh, there. They when they were good, they were very competitive, and they were getting a decent crowd. I mean, they were probably averaging close to thirty k a game. I'll bet for they attendance. I'll, I'll bet you still can't get a decent tickets or a skybox. I bet the lobbyists have all that stuff they pay for it, even though they don't go. Well, you're probably right about that, but I mean, I I didn't try to sit in any skyboxes, so and we why, were why able not? to get pretty decent seats every time we wanted to go. I would say that if I came out there, I'd expect you to get me in a skybox. <laughs> well, then the same goes for Chicago, then big time. Oh God, I, I, <laughs> we, we, we used to get them. I should have their own box, and you should be able to go to a game on a daily basis. Well, that's that, isn't that the truth? Hey, thanks for subbing <laughs> in for Kevin. Maybe we'll talk to you on Friday, especially if this drone thing gets out of control because that's your game. Right now, uh, I'd say we we hope it settles down, eh? I mean, is that is that? Yeah, what I hope so too. I hope the banks settle down too. Well, no kid, SP futures down seventy, NASDAQ futures down one eighty. Be right back, Professor Russell Rhodes. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading good, is they, not they, as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. 
Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right now. Hey, I should have stayed home and played with myself. Hello, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Matt Byrne on the board hustling here this morning. We're getting people in and out of Zoom and so forth. And uh, uh, the uh, so so you deny yeah. you, you deny hitting the button that, that stopped you guys from doing traffic. Anybody hearing? Mix B bus. No, that wasn't me. Uh, don't know where Mix B goes. I don't know. Matt Weber says, you know, I don't remember this thing being depressed. Let's see if that's the property. It's it all of a sudden everything worked. Yeah, well, I hope I hope we're coming out loud and loud and clear today. I'm so. sure I'd have heard if you if you if you weren't, but guys, we always we're always notified by our. Uh, we have a couple of people from uh, Arizona that always let me know. In fact, uh, so we've got a lot of people. They always give you a piece of their mind. Yeah, uh, what uh, do we have? Uh, the professor. We do indeed. I hope the professor knew at midnight last night that he stayed up all night and, uh, and trying so we could cover a world bank panic this morning because it sure wasn't obvious at midnight when I looked. I mean, professor, are, so what's going on, bud? Off, I expected London calling for the intro music because I'm in London. Oh, ah. um, I'm sta- I'm standing across from the Bank of England, and I'm gonna go in and yell at him in a few minutes. Are you gonna try and withdraw some money? I'm not. Done. No, no. Actually, I'm I'm doing the study abroad with uh, you know, for my Mike Kelly students. Oh and God! So you ever see? Uh, and, and they're they're in the museum, and I'm standing out on the sidewalk uh, talking to you. Uh, by the way, while I'm thinking about it, and I'm still concussed, so I will jump from topic to topic on you much more so than I normally do. Well, I am too. Um, this, I am too this morning, so don't feel don't feel odd. I'm there's a I million topics. That, this is gonna this is gonna be interesting. This is gonna be like one of those uh, you know TV shows that they keep in the vault and never show unless they get mad. At them. Well, just just but, to, um, just to well, show a, you, a couple of my students are gonna come on next week with us. Cool. That's just just so you yeah. just so you know how screwy today is. The, the two headlines, uh, the two headlines here in the in the CNBC are Credit Suisse shares tank after Saudi backer rules out further assistance. And right below it, Credit Suisse chair says SVB crisis looks contained, rejects talk of needed government assistance. <laughs> right, right underneath the other headline. Yeah, maybe the Beatles' help would have been good introduction music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what to, so does now, it, I don't, you know first off you got to keep in mind I'm a little out of touch because I uh, you know we we went to visit a credit rating agency yesterday and and uh, my students had some really good questions for that for those guys about um, you know what you know what their role in all of this have been or what their role should be etc and um, as when we left they, uh, they a couple of them were like sales to me like they, they've got um, you know um, Mixed incentives here. Yeah. <laughs> so at least they're picking up on that one. Uh, but the, 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 the macro thing or the overarching thing that drives me nuts about what's going on is changing the, and I'm going to bleep myself there, rules midstream. 
You know what I, I mean? Which rules? You know, which rules are you talking about? I'm, ta- I'm talking about the FDIC thing where it's only supposed to be two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and all of a sudden they're going to you know bail out. You know, my understanding is they're talking about bailing out people for a lot more. And it's interesting to me that the people that would benefit from that, and I'm talking about Silicon Valley Bank, uh, the, the people that would benefit from that come from the uh, state that's got the most electoral votes. You think if this had happened in Ohio, we'd be talking about it? See, I, I, have, a, I have an absolutely... I'm kind of, boy, I, I wish you were, you were here this morning because we could, we could wrestle about this one. I have, a, I have a totally different view of that, Russell. I mean, I totally... I, I look back, I mean, I, I started by taking a graduate-level money and banking course at Notre Dame. It was one of the best courses I ever took. The, the whole history of the Federal Reserve and bank bailouts since the Depression has been that the, the, S, the FDIC is just, a, is just an opiate for the people. That the, Actually, the whole system was, was, was made whole just about all the time. I, I don't think there's been one yeah. or two. I mean, the normal thing is some bank has some bad loans, Guess what? They, the, the Fed goes in, or the state, or whoever goes. They go in. They find another buyer. They move the stuff over. It, it's never usually a cash problem. It's never a deposit problem. It's always no. a, it's always kind no. of a loan problem. But they they yeah. don't they don't move to another bank and say everybody over two fifty is bleep out of luck. They they always have covered everybody. That's why when, when you when we well were, there, there will be money to. It's not like they got zero dollars. Right. You know they do have some money. So. Uh, I, and again, I'm gonna stick with Silicon Valley Bank on this one because it's the one I know the most about. Um, just because, again, I've been running around with kids in Europe instead of doing my job and preparing to talk to you. Um, but, but you know, that one, they, you know, it's just a, that was just a liquidity disconnect. They really, you know, they did have enough assets to maybe cover 70, 80 percent of what what they owe people. And when I say what they owe people. I'm talking about money in your checking account because well, that's money that they technically owe people. That's it. We'll, we'll start start from the top. If you're a bank, okay. the the loans are assets, as are yep. your your capital, are assets. The right. li- the liabilities are the deposit. It, it, it takes a little while for that to yeah. sink through for people to figure that out. But the, the point being, I guess what I, I just went through the whole thing earlier in the, in the show. It's you, you can be an undercapitalized. I'll use the term zombie bank. Forever, as long as there's not a run, and, and exactly. your your day to day stuff and is okay. But the the idea that somehow Russell, we're gonna first of all, how they allowed forty billion dollars to leave in an hour and a half, I I, I I'm un, it's unconscionable to me that the Fed wasn't well, earlier. You know, they yeah, should have. You got to figure that you got to figure they called up some of their biggest and best customers and said, uh, better get your money. But but the the the, the, hit, the hit to the capital. The capital hit was like, I'm going to say at the top end, $10 billion. Mm-hmm. At the top end. Yeah, the, the real issue, and I did, I was listening off and on this morning, and you were talking about um, them having to sell the assets in yeah. order to, you know, well, it goes beyond that. What, what they were doing is, um, and, and if I get the number wrong, again, I'm working off my head here. Um, they had taken, let's say they had basically taken all the deposits and put them into U.S. Treasury bonds. Well, they only have to mark to market 4% of those. And the other 96%, they could just keep it on the books as book value and with, because they would say that they have the intent to hold these bonds to maturity. That, that's and so if, four, if, 4%, oh, if 4% of their capital gets pulled out, they don't necessarily have to sell the next 4%, but they've got to mark them to market. 
And as the money comes out, they're suddenly taking bonds, and, and I'm going to use just round numbers here. They're suddenly taking bonds that are priced at a hundred, and now on their books, they're you know they're they've gone from being a long-term asset to a short-term asset. All right, so and I guess as a short-term asset, they got a marker in the market, and that's why it suddenly looked like they didn't have enough you know enough capital, even though you know they had the exact same instrument. All right, explain and to it me. It wouldn't have happened like you're saying if there hadn't been a bank run. Right, explain to me something here, Lucy. Uh, if if you one of these days you have a big big fat account of PTI, and you were coerced, foolish enough, whatever you want to do, to put two million dollars in a a thirty year government bond two years ago at one and a half percent interest, and now it's at right. four, and that and that hundred dollar bond is now is now marked at at seventy five or eighty. Somewhere in there yeah, would be my it, guess. Yeah. Okay, now when when PTI sends you the sheet every month, it's going to say seventy five or eighty. It's not going to say a hundred. Who, who's who's right. the moron that allows these people to say it's really still a hundred? No, it's, it's not. But it's it's the rule. It's the, it, well, who wrote it, the rule? It, I guess is my question. But 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 you but you don't you don't rule. but you don't you don't get the same rule. Why do they get the I rule? Make the rules. What? I don't make the rules. I know what I'm saying. Who, I, who's, it, and they're operating within the rules. And right. the rules need to be updated. We don't need to be writing a big check to all the banks. We need to come up with new rules well, you, that... You can't, so, you can't have... If, you, I mean, you really don't want these guys going out in new capital every single day. But the point being is... Yeah. And this is the part that I, I don't... It's almost like... God, it's like Bailey's... I was talking to a couple of people yesterday. One was you know, a lady at my dentist, and she's actually very bright. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it's like... Doesn't doesn't anybody get that if, no matter what bank you are, even with Jamie Dimon, Mister Smug, if five percent of the people showed up today to take their money out of Citigroup or, or J.P. Morgan, they got a problem. Uh-huh. Everybody does. That's the whole point of banking. Yeah. I mean, what do you suppose? Oh, yeah, yeah what, no, it, no, it, it totally is. And as long and really, and as long as that doesn't happen, but there's nothing to prevent that from happening, other than the bank shuts its doors and gets taken over by you know the Fed. Well, what, um, what happens that, is you, if, you if have to wait for them. If that doesn't happen, they're going to be okay. Well, um, I'm saying everybody, so the morons running around this morning and saying, I don't like this bank, go get your money out, essentially pointing to places they have a run on it, that's not healthy, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> no, it's not. And there was, I, I think, the, and I didn't, I kind of glanced at this, but I saw where one of the analysts from one of the big banks that you already mentioned uh, went through, and you know, I, I guess he got it, he had his... Uh, research assistants working double time over the weekend and they dug into uh, the assets that were being marked as book uh, to book value and book value when I say that is the cost not the current market value and figuring out what other banks may have some issues what do you suppose would happen if the Fed marked the market their eight trillion dollar balance sheet oh well see that's what you know Paulson made a comment that I think a lot of people you probably remember this but a lot of people uh, don't remember it is that he he said they were going to buy all these toxic assets because they could run they could hold them until they run off the books where bank where a commercial bank couldn't and I'm certain that that number would have been a whole lot lower. Well, but I, I, he also said he said he said he said but the federal government has the ability to do this unlike commercial banks. They 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 they, they have the ability. To their buddies yeah. to pay a hundred dollars yeah. for something that's worth sixty, okay. Exactly. And you know what? The reason why those things were trading sixty, I'll bet they didn't all run off. I'll bet a lot of those mortgages went sour. 
Uh, I think there was a combination of, but you know, there, there's a combination. Some did and some did. I, I so but, the, no, the, I, the, I, to, I know you're totally correct on that. Well, let's put it this way: the number wasn't 100. It probably wasn't the 60. It probably was 80. At the end of the Happy day, they, yeah, they, yeah. What do you what do you suppose? Since you are in Europe, what do you suppose the central, the European Central Bank balance sheet looks like when they were buying this crap at a negative interest rate? Now it's two and a half. They had, they had to be buying oh stuff goodness. at one thirty. It's straight eighty. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Uh, if they would have to follow those same rules that we're talking about, even just four percent of the bonds, it would not be pretty. But I, but what, at what, all. But what do people? I guess when, when you look at it, th- this is why. For for three years, I've been pulling my hair out. Uh, or four years, actually, I started in 2020 when they and it made it worse in 2008 when the feds keep pumping this in. Because I'm, as you know, I'm a uh-huh. disciple of Milton Friedman. I'm a monetarist through and through, and these guys are ignoring all these rules. I mean, that's why you never want inflation to come back. You never want interest rates down that low because you end up creating a, a, a pile of poop. That you have real problems getting yourself out of, and and the problem exactly. the problem exactly. is not that the Fed has raised rates so rapidly. The problem is that they were so down low in the first place. Raising rates from from one to two shouldn't have any problem except for the fact it should never have been one in the first place, in one man's opinion. Exactly. But but now no, uh, it's not just one man's opinion. I think that's a, a good majority opinion there. So so now especially at this point when they were at one percent, you may have been one man's opinion. But it, you know the the genius of hindsight. Uh, a lot of people realize that now. So let me let me ask you this, Professor. Between uh-huh. 2019 or maybe early 2020, what's going on before that? How many how many bonds? The total value of all the 30. They, they sell 20s too, right? Government sell 20s. I and think so. I think they go up to they do 30, 20, 10. Okay, yeah. so the total value of the 30, 20, 10 that they have sold in the last, let's call it three years. Somebody's got them. Somebody bought them there. You hit a, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they were they were horrible well, buys. If you're an well, insurance company, you got to buy them. If you're a government, they're yeah. they're they're all someplace. Or and if you're if you're a bank whose risk management doesn't understand duration mismatch, you're going to buy them too. But I, I'm saying, I, I, if if you and I work, but if you and I work for the insurance company, I'm sure at the board meeting, we would say if they let us in, they'd let you in. They wouldn't let me in. They're going to say, you know, if, if we buy these things today and these interest rates go back to four, these things are going to be sitting at 80, 80, 80 cents on the dollar for like two decades. People are going to say it doesn't matter. Our, our, our covenant, our charter says we can only buy U.S. stuff. And by the way, we're supposed to ladder it. And oh, by the way, if we buy short term, we're making nothing. At least on these things, we're making a percent and a half. What do you want us to do? And, and, and neither one of us would have had an answer, to be honest with you. I mean, I, yeah. So, but I mean, no. I'm, not, I'm really, I'm, not, I'm really not sure how I would have if, if I were in that position. And, and I never, I, I was never heavily involved in the fixed income market, so I, you know, I don't know what the solution around all of that would have been. Um, you probably would have, you know, bought as much long term stuff as you thought you were going to be able to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, with the hope, with the hope of holding them to maturity, which but, I think is what Silicon Valley Bank probably. Well, what, I guess my, my point is. Well. If you, if you go back and replay every one of the 30-year auctions with Rick Santelli, who does a nice job, talking about mm-hmm. they, they sold, you know, $50 billion a 30-year, and oh, by the way, it was like triple subscribed. I mean, the fact is, people couldn't wait to get this crap. Now, at, at everybody's balance sheet all over the world, whether it's Saudi or whether it's the Chinese, whether it's some insurance company, whether it's a pension fund, now everybody's got this stuff, and guess what? It's, it's worth 80 
Now what do we do? Yeah. What can we do? We just we just wait it out, right? And you you try and for um, what else can you do? Uh, they can. This is where our second bout of inflation is going to come from. Well, yeah, it could very well be. I mean, I think yeah, it, I think it's a big problem because they're going to they're going to have to print some money. Well, I, I think it's a big problem, but but yeah. it's it's only a problem if it's a problem. If it's a if it's a very if it's a well capitalized insurance company, and three percent of their right. stuff is thirty year government bonds, I'm going to say they're going to make it. If you yeah. if you're a bank yeah. and all of a sudden you got to run through the front door and you got to sell it tomorrow, you got a problem. You got a use problem. Yeah, yeah. and but, and there there you, you'll hear and, and I don't think it's being properly explained, but you'll you'll see where some some folks that have been saying, uh, you know, if if everybody had just remained calm, everything would still be okay. Well, yeah, but I don't I don't know if that's true or not because if we do get another spike in inflation. And interest rates go up again. You're going to have another. You're going, to, you're going to have some cash outflows, and those cash outflows are going to, you know, cause more problems. You know, but, but you, but you can't. With respect to your market, to market. Even guys as smart as you and your and your gang you're with, we we mm-hmm. could not. I I could not put your your very intelligent students and yourself in a room tomorrow and say, from up until today, banks have uh, have always concerned themselves with. Their biggest day, you know, a day before Christmas at, at the Harris Bank and the Board of Trade oh, Building. Yeah. You know, yeah. one per, 1% of the money was withdrawn. We need, we need to set up by next week. We have to be able to handle a, a bank run of 20% of our of the money. Everybody's going to look at you like, you, you say, what? <laughs> you, you want us to prepare for Nobody can do that. It's like Bailey's building and loan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you suppose the, the, the on a normal year, the biggest. Withdrawal in terms of of uh, in in one day. Now when I when I when we say withdrawal, okay, again. Oh, I know. No, I know. I was a bank teller back in the day. I remember when we had to order more cash. Well, right, but um, but you know, but it, was, it was typically typically around Christmas. But if but if yeah. this this gets more complicated by the second, because people talk about what's what is the Fed funds rate? What do they do? The reason that happens is a guy like Russell, he could walk down to Northern Trust. And, and, and write him, write himself a, a billion dollar check and deposit it in Harris. Okay, now that's yeah. that's not the same as we're talking about because now you've caused a withdrawal at Northern and and you've and you've been deposited at Harris. So at night, Northern might be a tad short, and and, and Harris is a tad long. So what they do is they borrow reserves on the Fed funds market mm-hmm. at night, and, and that that's not the kind of withdrawal we're talking about. We're talking about no. we're talking about no. withdrawals where. Like in cash or to something where it's not necessarily going somewhere else. Although I, I got to believe that this money was. But Russell, I when, when I was when we were at Pullman, when Robin used to tell me this, I didn't really understand it. Did, I, I assume they still have compensating balances, right? So if you have a a, a ten million dollar line of credit at say PNC, PNC is going to require you again. This could be old news. Uh, you know, you'd leave a hundred thousand dollars as a deposit there, just a compensating balance, right? Back when you didn't get paid any interest. Yeah. So you got to have some you have to have some collateral sitting around. But but I mean Pullman never had never even batted an eyelash at having a half a million dollars for payroll or or compensating balances at Continental Bank. They never said, "Oh, yeah. oops, the FDIC at the time was only 100,000. We we got to be worried about our 4.9 million." That that never if people start worrying like that, we got a problem. <laughs> I, I Oh, mean, absolutely. And that and I think that's Something I, I personally think that part of the problem now, and I don't, I haven't really seen it cited anywhere. And this goes along with what you were just talking about. 
was that a lot of companies after 2020, when they suddenly were like, holy crap, things slowed down very quickly and we weren't prepared for it, um, are holding more cash than they used to. Well, yeah. And being more cautious, and being more cautious than they used to with the cash management. Well, and, and I, uh, I read through the list yesterday. Was, the point is, I think that's already happened. Didn't didn't Roku have millions and millions happen. of dollars in this place, right? I did. They had like I, I in I I feel like the number sixty four million pops in my head. What uh, a billion? You know what? What's I'm more concerned about the people are kind of I won't say sweeping under the rug, but it's it's much easier jumping on top of a be the Elizabeth Warrens of the world to get their face out there and the other people this and that. Yeah. I mean, the, weird, the weird part is Elizabeth Warren, they are, because mm-hmm. of the way the Federal Reserve operates, they pretty much all are national banks. I mean, she doesn't even know that? They, I, they are. I mean, I, it, actually, I had this discussion. When we were in the Bank of England Museum, uh, you know, somebody was asking me, you know, uh, how, it, they basically asked uh, why the government in the U.S. didn't start the Federal Reserve until 1913. And I said... The government didn't, uh, um, you know, it's owned by the banks. They're shareholders of the federal Reserve. Well, there was a first bank and in the United not, States. And, yeah, and, and there's a second. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, actually, we had a guy in the 100-year the yeah. anniversary of the Fed. We had a guy came in the studio, Stocks and Jacks, from the Fed, and he was an absolute expert on the first and second bank of the United States and uh, went through the whole history of it. It was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. That book is if you really want to know all about how it got started up in the motivation and everything. It's an awesome book. But it, it's but, a uh, it's a it's a six hundred or seven. It's a long book from what I remember. But but also you uh, but you but there needs to be there's all kinds of timing differences. There's agrarian banks. There's other, you, somebody needs to be. Plus, when, when you cash a check, I mean, everything's you know the Fed is just policy. When you cash a check, every check runs through the Federal Reserve. That's how. That's how. Yep. That's why when you write a check from this bank and it shows and you cash it over here, the two days later it's back at your bank. It used to mail them to you, you know, at least, but they're there at the bank on microfilm. I mean, that, that that doesn't just. None of that happened before there was a Fed, right? Right. And, right. and when and when you did a uh, currency transaction, uh, I'm sure you went to the bank in Indianapolis and you got yourself some. Uh, some pounds or some euro dollars before your trip, and all that yep. stuff. All that stuff is going to settle someplace at the same minute every day to make sure no bank is hung out to dry on that. That's all the Federal Reserve. It's not like they don't yep. do anything. And there, and then there's a certain time of day that they everybody needs to make sure they have enough cash on hand. Right. Yeah. It's a. And, the, and if they don't, and if they don't, they lend each other. Right. And it's and it, and it changes all the time. It's, but you know when uh, after uh, well, we've got a few minutes in break. But you know what? When I'm kind of. I don't know how we're ever going to find this out, Russell, but you can opine on it better than me. I'm, I'm I'll say, concerned slash curious of the various roles as banks seem to play, where they where they raise money for these places in return for them being their only banker, where they had all their money there, the deposits. I don't know how that was all connected. Sure, it seems to me like the investment banking these guys did was pretty damn tight with the commercial banking to the point where I want to I want to check that out. I, I think there's some problems there. I mean, I think they were way too tight. Well, you know, how, how how do you go about, if you're in banking, um, how do you go about really, you know, showing great profits? You leverage yourself. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I, I've cited this before. And gosh, I wish I could remember the professor's name, but it's a guy from Purdue that would bring groups to SIBO. He trained his students to say, when you hear the word leverage, when it's really good, it's really good. And when it's really bad, it's really bad. And, 
you know, when interest rates go up like they have in a telegraphed way, it should be no surprise to anybody that interest rates are where they are right now. I you would, know, but I'm going to say that, that surprised me nuts about Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, this time last year, you knew interest rates are going up. Did anybody that worked there know that when interest rates go up, the price of bonds go down? Uh, they would. You would think they would. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I. And gosh, just because I consider that such a, a an important concept, I, I go absolutely ballistic on making sure that students that have taken me understand that basic concept. That really does get lost on a lot of people that are even professionals. Why, why would you expect people to understand that when, when virtually everybody and anybody you talk to will tell you that the best time to buy a house is when interest rates are low, and it's exactly the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. No, actually, I think I, I think this summer. I, I I don't own a place in Indiana. Um, I think I might be getting an opportunity to get a place in Indiana this summer. Well, I mean, how much you know? You know, which hasn't what hasn't hit any of the the bleep hasn't hit the fan with these guys is I think that they're every we are just talking about their their federal bond number. They had fifty eight billion dollars in mortgages. I'm I'm going to guess mm-hmm. a lot of those are jumbos for the people in that area that have big houses. I, don't, I mean, I don't I don't think they were able to sell them because you can't sell a jumbo, right? You got to keep it. No. And, I, and I I would benefit last week, didn't we talk when you were on? I, pretty, I could have sworn I said I, I heard some report that, from somebody saying in that area, Northern California, the Valley, and Frisco, that the uh, property values are down two point three trillion dollars in the last six months or something. You know, from a from an all time high. I can see that. So I can see that. I mean, I you know anecdotally, I like I said, I don't own a place, but I've been keeping an eye. And you, you go on the websites and you save your favorites, and I keep getting price change emails like two or three times a day. And they ain't price changes to the upside. Well, no. What, what, what do you suppose a, a basket of mortgages uh, right now from from uh, two years ago is worth? The only good thing about mortgages is all the all the two and three percent mortgages. Yeah, yeah, um, a lot less than they were, and 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 that's a combination of the change in interest rates. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot less than they were because of the risk of default now. Yeah, and that's 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 the yeah. when, when people both have, things both things are moving against. Well, people calls. people who invest in in uh, mortgages, and I'll say this mm-hmm. kind of briefly because my stepfather, do you, do you ever remember anything like this? I mean, I don't know if they're, if they're around anymore. They probably are, but he um, he bought. Uh, a, I think I think they were. Is it were they veterans? They were. They, they, it wasn't Fannie or Freddie. It was uh, whoever did the the, the uh, military mortgages. I think it was, but he he buys into a chunk of these mortgages, right? This is, uh-huh. I mean, this is 25 years ago, and and it was a nice investment. He was he was making like six and a half percent, because that's what yeah. the mortgages were at the time. And uh, but yeah. the, the problem with mortgages are, if you get in at a good rate, like say six and a half, and they start to creep down a little, he, his his payment every month was supposed to be say it was supposed to be 200 bucks. Well, every month mm-hmm. he's getting every month he's getting 210, 215, 220, because somebody was m- either moving, which people do. I mean, uh, or, or refinance, or, or, yeah. or, or refinance. So he was getting a little more yeah. every month. So this thing was supposed to last, I'm going to say, 30 years, and you know he he, he ends up dying. My brother was uh, doing all the money for the estate. I was doing all the rest of the stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. his, all of a sudden his last check was like 48 cents. Is the last guy bailed out? But I don't think right. I. So I'm, I'm gonna, just you know. Yeah, I'm saying that's, it. That's, that's 
I mean, that barely covers the stamp. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to say that you know there probably were a thousand mortgages to start, or two thousand, or whatever. Yeah. And I'm saying that the, his his say twenty year investment lasted eight years. However, if he'd have got in at some horrendous price, where all or all the or all the uh, guys had a three percent mortgage, I'm going to say unless you unless you die or or you, or you lose your job, you're never leaving that house. That would have lasted probably twenty five years. The, so investing yeah. in mortgages is not the best because if you can make a good buy, it doesn't last. Make a crummy buy, it lasts, right? Yeah. S and P futures. Yeah, and uh, you know, and that, oh, no, S P futures down fifty five. Dan's futures down one twenty. We're coming back here, coming way back. Actually, we were down seventy when we came in. Uh, we'll be right back. Stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here. Right now. What is your nationality? I'm a drunkard. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes Rick a citizen of the world.
Hello, and welcome, welcome back to Saxon Jacks. I'm talking about Matt Byrne on the board. We had a little bit of a kick up in the uh, uh, S&Ps. They were just only down 51. Now they're back down 67 as we had a, a wholesale price unexpected decline of 0.1% in February. Uh, retail sales fall, so uh, bad number and a good number there. So we, uh, again, all this is, is going on because Credit Suisse uh, is down 24% and they stopped trading. And a bunch of other banks, they stopped trading on it in Europe as well. So that's that's the reason for all this carnage. Dow's down 552. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX is down, down 403, 2.6%. Puts it down 191, 2.5. Kick around the worst, down 229, 3.2%. So Europe is in a, a pretty serious free fall. Over in Asia, a lot of this stuff happened after Asia closed. So Asia's actually the other way. Nikkei's up 7, call that flat. Hang Seng up 291, 1.5%. Shanghai up 18.5%. Again, I'm not going to say if they opened right now, they would be they would be there at all. Uh, yesterday we had a big update. That was up 336, S&P up 63, Nasdaq up 239. So we're basically giving all that back in the S&P. Not all of it in the Nasdaq because Nasdaq had a nice day yesterday, over 2%. Now it's only down 1.3. So Nasdaq is, I use the term, hanging in there to a certain extent. Ten-year uh, bond down 14 base points, 3.49. Uh, so much for the f- over 4% last Friday. Uh, Bun down 24 points, 2.21. Japan is actually down to 0.27, way below that 0.50. It's been stuck on for really quite a while. Oil, whack, whack, down a buck 07, 70, 26. It was over under 70 the last time we did this, an hour ago. Rent down 118, 76, 27. Natural gas down 3 cents, 253. We've got gold up 15.40, down 19.26. Silver up 26 cents, 22.30. And uh, I am real happy. We've got a lot of gold and silver for a lot of my clients, so... Uh, Maybe it'll offset some of the other stuff that's down today. Uh, crypto, Bitcoin's up 303, 25,024. Bitcoin's actually seen a little flight to quality, which is somewhat bizarre. But mm-hmm. and the U.S. dollar, uh, basically, it's real strong again. They got the, the euro's down to 105.7. That's a 1.5% move in the dollar. Uh, British pound is down, is up uh, 0.7%. Again, these kind of moves in these currencies, and we'll get a confirmation of this on, on Russell, but... You can't prepare for this at all. I mean, that, that's a, those are big numbers. Matt, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. Currently 7.37 a.m. on March 15, 2023. This morning in Chicago, clear sunny skies. A bit of a frosty one as well at 24 degrees, a high of 49 later on. Tomorrow, rain to start in the evening and we'll go into Friday morning. Right now in Phoenix, cloudy skies. 63 degrees currently, a high of 66 later on. Tomorrow, just updated to clear and sunny skies. Uh, in sports, last night, Blackhawks won against Bruins, 6-2-3. Bruins had to be hung over. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that's one good point. Bruins actually top of the NHL right now as far and, as And the Hawks are the worst team. Yeah, so it was a bit a, it was a bit of a, uh, a toss-up for them. A very odd situation yeah. there. Uh, good for Blackhawks, maybe uh, Bruins at their lowest, who knows. Uh, as well as that, Carolina Hurricanes, who are in second in the NHL, uh, they beat Jets, 5-2-3. As well as that in the NBA tonight, Bulls to play Kings, the United Center, at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And college basketball, last night in the Men's Basketball Championship, Texas A&M wins the South Region first four, and Pittsburgh wins the Midwest. Tonight, Fairleigh Dickinson versus Texas Southern, and Nevada versus Arizona State. It's all for now, Chief. Thank you. Fairleigh Dickinson versus Texas Southern. That's 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 one for the Titans. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. That's going to be a memorable contest. (laughs) We were just down 51, now we're down 76, so... Whatever it is, is PPI gave everybody a little shot. Uh, that shot is worn off. Um, Russell, what do you make of uh, consumer price number yesterday? I have to ask, ask you, 
how do how do we how do you adjust a CPI numbers on by a monthly basis? Do we have Russell. Sorry, I was stuck. I was muted for you guys, <laughs> and I was stuck on it for there for a second. So how do I how do I deal how do I interpret the 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 the, the Adjustment. Adjustment. Of the what yeah. was the adjustment? Sorry, I would, I'm walking in London. And All right, that's okay. You're. Uh, my brain doesn't work anymore. That's uh, a. <laughs> that, that's cool. I'm just. I'm just saying. If you look at the CPI number from yesterday, uh, the published number is 0. 0.4. That's the adjusted number. The regular number is 0. 0.6. I, didn't, I mean, who? who, 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 who where did one, we get the? Where did we get those two tenths? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm mean, saying. So where are these? What, what did Mayor Daly say? Who are, who are these adjusters? <laughs> The people that are trying to make things look a little bit better than they are, but that doesn't sound like they were trying to make it a little bit better. Yeah. You know, there, there aren't the early numbers on um, smaller surveys, and then they kind of solidify the number with talking to a few more people. Well, they, they actually give you really, the... I, that's in a very in a very basic way. I think that's what you know that that's what happens there. But I mean, here's a guy, a guy or a lady. Uh, work, person works are pretty a, a, a carbon a carbon based brain unit yeah carbon based brain unit <laughs> works their poor fanny yeah. to the bone and they go out and they just yeah. they, they just they decide that uncooked beef roast is down 0.4 percent for the month and some adjuster yeah. says nah it's 1.4 percent <laughs> I, I, I don't think i don't think it's an adjuster i think there's a, a little bit more of a methodology behind it than that well i mean but but every, but every line here every, and the detail uh, the beauty of the cpi is the detail is is extraordinary. It's they it, as much as we criticize those guys, they do give you a lot of data to work with. Oh yeah, uh, that's I think and and a lot of people are waking up to that just because of the inflation issue that we've had. And also oh, they've got, but uh, I mean it's not just one way; it's the other. They've got uh, other pork. What the hell is <laughs> other, other pork? Oh, we got we've got pork. We got bacon. Uh, bacon and related products, breakfast sausage, ham, pork chops, and other pork, including roast steaks and ribs. Uh, the real number is 0.9, yet the adjusted number is up 1.8. Who, who, who are these adjusted? I mean, how did, how did that number double? Well, it's just, I mean, again, when you're from... You're breaking up, bud. Oh, no, I had a police guy going flying by me. A police uh, guy flying by you. Wow. A police guy. I'm you, they they you, sure do things different in England. Little, you got to give me a break here, man. I'm operating with <laughs> I know. a freaking concussion. Right, so how come uh, <laughs> when it says other meats, it's got frankfurters and lunch meat. How come How come spam doesn't have its own line? It, well, it, it kind of does. You just take uh, 10% of each of the meats they have in there. Ah. But, <laughs> but I, I've always, I'm, always, it's all, I'm always amazed at the, uh, at the amount of detail that goes into this. And by the way, this is... This is only one of the charts. I mean, if you get in here, there'll be uh-huh. every single kind of rice. Be brown rice, uh, you know. The, what's what's the what's the good Himalayan rice? And there'll be like fifteen different rice lines. Well, and you know, they it, it, for things that are very niche like that. I'm going to kind of circle back to what I was talking about with respect to methodology. If you've got you know, something very specific like brown rice, I mean, maybe the first go you're only using three or four numbers, and then you come back and You've got a dozen numbers to work with. Yeah. So it's something very niche like that. That that's part of where I think some of those changes come from, um, and and I think some of this flawed methodology. Well, you know, I, trying to trying to you know it's it's the forest for the trees thing. Yeah, you know, just looking at three trees and deciding that the whole forest looks like that. 
Well, right? I mean, yeah. in order in order to compile those numbers as quickly as you possibly can and make them somewhat timely, there's maybe too much of a margin for error. I just I'm surprised that uh, you know one of the things we try and do on the show is is to explain some of this stuff and I, you yeah. know, and uh, I mean when when we have Carl on every month for the labor numbers. I mean, just because we we love Carl, we don't have mine just because we love him. I mean, he, he digs through these yeah, numbers. He and, knows that. Yeah, yeah, and he digs through the numbers, and he says, by the way, why why do I need somebody telling me that because of Christmas I need to adjust these numbers 200,000 every December? I'm, I'm old enough to know that every year there's a Christmas in December. Why, why, why can't I just, why can't they just give me the real, the real number? Give us a real number. I think, I think we're all smart enough at this point to, uh, you know, to, to understand what's going on when June rolls around, uh, at least you know back when they would actually work. You know, a bunch of teenagers would go and get summer jobs, etc. And you know, instead of trying to give us a consistent number and tell us it's adjusted, give us the real number and let us work it. No, I, I would I would think that since your gang, um, how can I put this politically correctly? Uh, I'm going to guess that your gang, by the time you get them out of uh, undergrad or grad school down in Indiana. Most of them know what the dreaded J word means. I'm going to say that in some areas, people have no concept. I don't. I don't know of anybody who made it through high school, much less college, without a job of some kind in the summer, or working in the cafeteria, or doing something. And yet, I think a lot of kids have no idea what a job even is. The dreaded J word, or how you go about getting one. Yeah, um, I've got a. I've got a student that's along on this trip. It thinks they're going to have a short conversation with somebody, impress them, and they're going to get a job, like you know, happens in the movies or something like that. Hey, speaking of which, um, uh, as a man who's got his 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 thumb on the pulse of uh, academia, I'm hearing all kinds of nasty rumors, and, and actually was somewhat confirmed by Meta yesterday or the day before. I'm hearing all these rumors that people coming out of grad school business and otherwise are getting these job offers. They're actually moving places, and the and the, and the jobs getting pulled. Is that happening? Yes. That, that I have, I don't have any students that that has specifically happened to yet, uh, and I and yet really is a keyword there. But I do know that, um, that there. Gosh, I feel like there was a firm in Indianapolis that maybe pushed back all the new start dates by six months. And I can't remember what firm that was. But I haven't had a, a specific student. It's not something you go around and brag about either. So, <laughs> so yeah. you know, it may be happening, but. Yeah, no, that is most definitely happening. Hey, I got a, a quick story in the midst of all this carnage going on today. Kind of a funny story regarding the, the for me, the uh, genesis of, of the J word. My, uh-huh. my, my buddy, uh, uh, my buddy John Lee, uh, I just saw him the other night. We're still best friends. I'm godfather. I was the oldest kid. Uh, I was in the wedding party. I wasn't the best man, but I was in the wedding party. And I remember the, yeah. uh, actually, the, the reception was at the long, the long departed uh, Como Inn. Remember that place? Yeah. Yeah. So we there was a wedding reception, and I'm, I'm of course at the head table, and Audrey is my date, and uh, so uh, Audrey, I mean, you know you don't have to worry about Audrey. She get a, she's, 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 she's she's your arm candy. Come on. Well, without a doubt, <laughs> without a doubt, and uh, and uh, you know I don't. I mean, it's it's great bringing her out on a Saturday night, saying, "Hey, look what I got." You know, it's, it's <laughs> what the hell? That's, isn't that why people bring their their significant other out because they want everybody to know, look how how cool my wife is or her girlfriend? Anyway, so. Uh, so she sits down at the table with a couple other guys that one of the, somebody was in the wedding party, but all these guys are accountants, right? 
and over there with Price Waterhouse, one of these places. And first of all, they're huge guys. Each guy was like six six, two sixty. I mean, they were they were like ex football players. So they're sitting there, and Audrey, of course, all through high school had a job, through college had a job. It's to this day she works her works her family. I mean, she's never not had one. And it's been, she's yeah. a, you know, so she's sitting there, and this one lady she says to me, "It was the weirdest thing on earth." This one girl says, "Well, one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to go anywhere near the J word." And Audrey's looking at her like, I had no idea what she was talking about. Finally, I asked one of the other girls. She goes, my husband's a a CPA. I'm never getting a job. I've never had one. (laughs) It was the J word. I'm not going near the J word. I honestly, until right now, I've never heard that phrase. (laughs) Well, see. I was was like, I was scratching my head for a second. What the heck is this? Well, they were talking about the J word. We're not going anywhere near the J word. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, then. Audrey's like, I'm sitting at this table with these these four other ladies. I've had a job every day of my life. Not one of them has ever had one anywhere. Maybe, maybe they worked as a as a as a you know as a, as a soda pop store when they were when they were twelve or something. But I, anyway, so uh, oh, I um and and yeah, the, the, I, I fortunately avoided avoided that one in marriage. So there we go. Well, your your, your wife's always worked. Yeah, she has. Yeah, so. Matter of fact, she's got a real uh, job. She's like she's like in the medical profession, right? She's a nurse. Yeah, it's she's okay. a drug researcher. Uh, but actually, she's in the process of uh, starting up a gluten-free bakery out in the western suburbs. Wow. What, why would I want yeah. something? Why would I want something without gluten in it? Wow. Because uh, you know, if you eat gluten, your balls blow up. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I wouldn't want that to happen. All right, something <laughs> like that. I don't know. I, have, I think a that's South the medical term. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? One of the one of the ladies balls used blow. to. You know what? Angelica was on a nine. She gave up gluten for Lent. So I cooked, uh, I cooked some pasta. Oh, I cooked some pasta in the Is office and then gluten. But it wasn't bad. I don't know. But, but I was going to say, like after about four days of it, was she very difficult? Oh, but she couldn't wait for the end of that. She, I, I, went on, I went on a crash diet once, and I almost killed a guy on a trading desk next to me for no reason. Yeah, it's just, so, hey, you can't be doing that. That's, that's what I think of when I hear of, like, you know, making a sudden change. Just remember, everything in moderation, okay. including moderation. Exactly. All right. So now, Professor, we've we've dodged the bullet yes, here for, sir. for fifty minutes. What the hell with uh-huh. this with this bank thing? Is this we're down seventy eight in the spoos? Uh, oh. Are you? I don't I don't see our, our the KRE, which is the regional bank index here, is down only down a little bit. Uh-huh. I'm not seeing massive problems here. I see Goldman Sachs down eleven sixty five. That's four percent. What what yeah. you know what is what is unique about Credit Suisse? Always seems to be in trouble. Uh, now, you know, they always to to me. I've always felt like they were sort of the Lehman Brothers of the uh, European banking system. You know, we always felt like when things got in trouble, that Lehman would be the one that would take it on yeah. the chin. Um, the the one problem here is if you ask me which one before this morning, I would have worried more about Deutsche Bank than Credit Suisse. How about these? How about these HSBC you know, guys? I always worried about those guys. You know, they took over. So they, they took over. I want to say Silicon Valley Bank's uh, UK division. I think it, I think it was no. I think it was I think it was, a, I think it was a whole Europe division. Was the whole Europe? Okay. I just, which I mean, uh, which I'm not so sure is even yeah. big outside of OUK, but it might might just be and, UK. And you gotta hate that all the banks that are in trouble start with the letter F. Yeah. It's causing me issues with respect to trying to keep it straight. Why? I I just a specific question. How the hell? Huh? I mean, Kevin Kevin is. You know he's he was in the banking industry forever, so he's kind of our expert on yeah. banks. He goes, he goes by by five after nine with all these wires 
all of a sudden pounding on the place. He goes, he goes, I'm not so sure what the solution would have been. He said, but how everybody by nine ten from the Fed to the state regulators to to the bank presidents, how everybody didn't realize they had a problem five minutes into the day, and and either li- limit the 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 amount you could take out or, or or shut it down for an hour to find out what the hell was happening. How do you? I don't know what the solution would have been. He goes, but how do you let forty billion fly out the door uh, in in two hours without? Um, I, I you know I I don't know a lot of specifics about the bank, but neither did Jim Cramer. He told everybody to buy it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they are a relatively young bank, and I don't you know, and they're out in California. They're not really in a money center, and you know. Carolyn Ellison was kind of the risk manager for FTX and all that stuff. I wonder if um, you know they just didn't have people that had been through a situation where we had continuously up, uh, you know, interest rates moving up, and a lot of this was very new to them. And because it was all very new to them, they just didn't handle it very well. Well, you know, Russell, and I'm going to I'm going to step out on a plank here. A I, I really bit. do think I, I again I don't know any of the management there. I might be completely wrong on this one. But when I'm looking at a bank that's only 40 years old, that's you know out in California servicing a brand new industry, I just wonder how many people with that had. And Ed Provo said this about me when I left SIBO. He said, you know, there's a lot of institutional knowledge walking out the door, and yeah. they may not have had the amount of institutional knowledge that you wanted them to have, and that's part of what this problem was. By the way, I always really liked Ed Provo, one of my favorite people. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. You know, he says his daughter's working over at SIBO now. Oh really? Yeah, uh, he's, yeah. He's a good dude. Good dude. Uh, yeah, very, very bright. Very bright. Yeah, very bright. Yeah. Hey, yeah, uh, but I mean, yeah. I guess the lady who is, um, you know, you're, you're you're tempted to say uh, that everybody was, you know, we're so worried about who we were hiring and how it looked like. Uh, uh-huh. She was ten years at the Fed, and, and as one of the guys, uh, as Greg Pappas, who comes in, is on a Monday morning, was well, Oliver. Uh-huh. How, how does the lady not have a business degree? She got a degree in humanities. He goes, what? What the hell? <laughs> now, now, Kevin says over a period of time, you know, she worked for a couple other places, and she probably picked up some of that knowledge. But the guy who was the yeah. uh, the, the chairman, he had worked for the Fed for a while, uh, and you know, and, he, and by the way, he was he was on the Fed board of, of the San Francisco Fed. So I mean, is it is it just? It's it's unfair to say that that somebody like that, and a very attractive lady, by the way. And somebody like that just glides from job to job and never really does anything or knows anything. Okay, I mean, I mean, nothing is a, is a big stretch. But there are also people, just because you look good and because it looks like that's your resume, doesn't mean that every stop they didn't learn one hell of a lot and are actually brilliant. So it's, it's really hard to, mm-hmm. to judge. I, I, I do know a guy. Oh, he's, but, yeah. remember, remember the guy in the, in the CBO? Oh, he's got to be long dead so I can use his name. Remember, remember Silas Keene? I do not. I do not. Well, Silas Keene was the... He was a, a big muck, and he came from a blue blood family. He was, uh, I don't know what he was at Mellon Bank, but when uh, mm-hmm. the chairman of Pullman retired, they brought this guy in as a chairman. I don't think he, yeah. I don't think he had any experience whatsoever, other than that Mellon was a was a bank, and he was a he was a blue blood who was hanging on the board of Mellon. So he gets to Pullman. The place mm-hmm. the place gets taken over like two months after he's there. He makes a bunch of dough, and he's out. Made, made it look like he made the deal, which he didn't. He ends up as the mm-hmm. Federal Reserve chief here in Chicago for a long time. Then he ends up on the board of the SIBO. And, you know, I, I'm not saying he wasn't a nice guy, or he, I mean, he wasn't. I'm sure the guy maybe knew more history or knew than me. But I, I don't know what was going on up there. 
I mean, I, I don't think I mean, he just kind of landed in a spot, landed in another spot. I, I think this happening is happening to like a real lot of people, and you wonder at the end of the day, what did they ever do? I mean, like a guy, right. where did it, where's the experience come from? And there are fewer and fewer of us that have been around for a lot of the things that have been going on like that. You know, you and I are old. There's yeah. just no other way to put it. Well, I mean, we're, uh, we're so I mean, I mean, I think I think it's it's very possible for especially especially if you get caught up in this anything but an old white guy. Not that there haven't been a lot of really bad old white guys that ran places. I mean, there sure have been, but the idea that you you, you get on the right track. I mean, I I look at uh, and I actually think in terms of a, as, a, as a person, would I love to have a beer with the guy? I, I I've never had a bad personal feeling toward Barack Obama in my life. Nice family, doesn't seem to cheat on his wife. I mean, and I think the guy actually has a lot of knowledge of history. I don't, I don't have any bad thing to say about the guy. Hmm. But the fact that every spot he went, he just seemed like he glided through whatever it was. He ran for, for senator, and guess what? The guy he was running against self-destructed. Then this guy self-destructed. And all of a sudden, the dude's in the White House. I, I'm just saying, I don't know that's where he necessarily belonged, experience-wise. though. Bill Clinton... I think same thing. He should have been elected eight years later or twelve years later. You know, I, these people. Yeah. All of a sudden, you get this path, and the and, and the, the, and the, the, the you know the, the sea parts for you, and you and you walk across like in the Bible, and all of a sudden you land some spot, and you wonder how the hell did this guy get here? I mean, or, or a lady. And I, you know, I don't. Yeah. You know, you compare them to like a, a Churchill or a Roosevelt, with where they had all these jobs. And all this knowledge mm-hmm. and traveled the world and, and wrote stuff and you know, I mean compared to these guys, I mean compare there's a book I've and I really should never have done this to myself, uh, Russell. If you want I'll, I'll get it for you for Christmas. You ever read a man called Intrepid? No, I have not. Well he was it was a story of the guy who ran uh, British intelligence during World War Two. Mm-hmm. And he was a guy who started out as a math he was a a serious mathematician and he was one of the inventors of television, by the way. And he also wow. he also was a light heavyweight boxing champ. So talk about a guy who was everything was his dude, and uh, and he and he got involved in the government and, and he was involved in he knew all about the radar he knew about he was the guy that got the raid where they stole the first Enigma coding machine, and uh, he said the guy would read the equivalent of his of his desk they would just pour all these reports he would he could easily read and and, and retain essentially a Victorian novel a day. And he knew everything where everybody was doing. I mean, and, and you, you look at the resume and you go, this can't be one guy. It has to be six guys. Well, com- compare him to Donald Trump or, 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 or Clinton, you know, or, where, you know, they don't read anything. They don't want to know anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even the same. I'm not saying anything bad about, you know, Trump has his instincts too, or he certainly wouldn't have got there. And some of his instincts, are, I think, are pretty good, actually. Uh, but it's, it's, we're not getting the same kind of people. At any one of these levels, no. so it's it's not surprising no. that when a crisis shows up, the Fed doesn't know what to do, or the, or the California state regulators don't know what to do, because maybe they just have to hire people because they're hiring. I mean, I, I guess I'm not shocked there, Russell. Are you? No, I'm not. Unfortunately, I'm not. But and you hope that people like all the people you listed off there um, are smart enough to know what they don't know and hire the right people. I don't think Trump is willing to do that and actually i don't think the right people are willing to work for him you know why well, I, I wouldn't i i really wanted to work in the white house when he got elected i thought there was a huge opportunity to make an impact on the financial industry 
And if he or it happens to get reelected in 2024, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even, even if they called me, I wouldn't go there. Oh, I mean, I remember my mother telling yeah, me she she worked for a bunch of places. She was working in banks and stuff. And she goes, you know, Tom, you, they hire these people for all this money, and the, and, the pl- and she goes, the place runs pretty well without them. <laughs> she goes, yeah. I mean, on a day to day basis, you really don't need them. So you're really hiring them for the one time something unusual happens. They're supposed to have the education, the experience to make the decision that nobody else can make. My mind was pretty perceptive. And she goes, mm-hmm. and you know what? That day comes, and it turns out they got nothing. Once in a while they got something, but most of the time they got nothing. It's all BS. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing behind the curtain, just like in the movie. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the truth? I mean, if you're, if you're, yeah. a, a, big, if you're a big shot at you the know, Fed, yeah. well, I'll, just, I'll just real quick, I'll let you, if you're a big shot at the Fed, you're the day this place started to go under Wednesday, that's your day. That's what, you, that's what you've been getting paid for for 25 years. Now it's your chance to shine, and guess what? Where were you, out to lunch? <laughs> so and, and the thing is, uh, you know, with respect to we, 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 everybody, and including myself, uh, will really criticize lifelong bureaucrats that work in the State Department and stuff. But they are the people that you want there that have been around for 20, 30 years, that, that have been under both administrations and been in all kinds of situations. I think you really do want some of those people yeah. in place. But now, the, but do the right people ever get up to the top or not? I mean, the, no. the, you know, I mean, it, when, when that day comes and, uh, and I'm the president and I call up the State Department and say, we got this problem down in Uganda, give me the Uganda specialist. Is is the guy I'm talking to or the lady? Are they really the person that knows something, or are they or are they somebody else's hiree on top of them? I mean, I don't know. Or, or that's you know, they they've got the little sign that says Uganda desk. Yeah. And they want, and they, they can tell you everything about every football team in Uganda, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I'm I'm so jo- I'm so really the one for policy reasons. All right, two things. I'm very happy that you were you healed enough to go on this trip, and 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 secondly, I'm I am not at all happy that I was not brought along. All all expenses paid. I'm very jealous. Well, you're going to get to talk, talk. I think next week, a couple of my students are going to come on with me. Now that we got the cool Zoom system, and uh, very uh, they, much, they, I, I feel like I felt like today being over here was a little too disorganized for yep. me to try to do that. But they're going to come on next week. I'm going to really look forward to that, cool. buddy. You take care of yourself. Yeah. Get home safe. All righty. All right. SP futures down 76. This is not good. Nasdaq futures down 179. Uh, tell everybody all about it tomorrow. Stocks and jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. HomeSource Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Suppose you run your business and let me run mine.